What up, everybody? And welcome to another episode of 2, 5, and 10, episode 43. We got the little Nirvana intro going on. Ronnie Francis just named the GM of the brand new Seattle Blanks, because we still don't know what the name of them are. Benny, what up? What up, what up? Uh, I think... It was an episode back in November where we were pegging who was going to be the uh, new GM of Seattle, and I think I went with Francis as my number one. It was either him or uh, Ronnie Hextall as my number one or 1A, so I'll take partial credit for it. it and my pick uh, was Dave Tippett, who's now with the Oilers. So yeah, it's definitely, <laughs> uh, it, it's jumped around a little bit, but I mean, I guess we'll jump right into that. I mean, why waste a good intro, right? Um I think this is a great pick for them. Uh, Ronnie, obviously, been around the game forever, knows it, kind of got fired sporadically when the new ownership took over in Carolina. I think he's been chomping at the bit a little bit, and for him to get in and into a situation like this where George McPhee took this and grabbed it by the horns and had a phenomenal haul for Vegas... I mean, if anyone could do it, I, I think Ron Francis is a hell of a candidate. Yeah, I mean, the reason why I think he's a great fit for an expansion team is uh, I think Vegas was an outlier, especially now that the rest of the league sees how McPhee and Kelly McCrimmon uh, operated and was able to take advantage of certain teams' uh, hesitance to lose young players that they were willing to make with hindsight, lopsided trades uh, in Vegas's favor. So I don't think that's going to be quite possible for Francis in Seattle. But I think his personality as a GM fits with an expansion team in terms of being very methodical, patient. He's not going to make snap decisions uh, based on a winning streak, a losing streak, one bad year, one good year. So I think that's going to help there. Um, he's, he has a not a super strong track record in terms of the draft, but he has a pretty good track record uh, during his time in Carolina. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's a great fit to start out, um, especially since he's going to be able to mold that franchise into a division that he wants completely instead of having to uh, work with the new ownership in uh, Carolina who wanted things to move a little bit quicker than Ronnie wanted to. Another thing, though, too, is Candidate-wise, talk about a guy who went to an... Ex well, they weren't an expansion team. Hartford had moved, but he knows how to deal with brand-new environment, brand-new fans, brand-new everything. I just feel like a guy who's been there and who's done it. Like, as a player, you got to talk about, like, how comfortable you are with someone. And going in and being able to ask your GM who's been in that same thing. And when that team first moved to Carolina, no one even knew if it was going to work. This was going to be yeah. a complete grassroots. Hopefully something sticks and we'll go from there. So on that end, I think they have to be comfortable. And then with all of the season tickets and everything else already being sold out, like there's a lot of hype behind this team and talk about it. Exciting. Like for him to go have a blank page. I don't want to say blank check blank page and kind of make your own team in a sense that just must be an awesome feeling for a GM because you have guys who go into situations and they're like, crap, I got to get rid of him. His salary's too big, a nice salary dump. We need to pick this. We need to pick that. He has the chance to do whatever he wants here. Yeah, and I think the interesting part for me, uh, in both a positive 
And one interesting thing that might be looked at as a negative in terms of Francis's track record so far is he's been in a position before where he's been able to take advantage of teams that were facing cap difficulties and being able to squeeze extra uh, value out of that out of them in trades. So like you saw that with the Teravinen trade with Chicago when he basically got uh, Teravinen for a second and a third round pick just for the um, luxury of taking on Brian Bickle's last year of his contract. So uh, he doesn't make many trades. At least he didn't in Carolina. He's probably going to have to be forced to make more in the first year or two in Seattle. But he has that experience. He's been able to look at the market, pinpoint which team he can uh, target in terms of trades with financial implications, and then use that to his advantage because Carolina was always well, well below the cap, and that's how Seattle's going to start out. So I think that's a little bit of a track record that's a positive. The one negative, and this every GM has learning experiences, and he was first-time GM, former player. Uh, he has some misses in terms of the draft, and that was very early on in his career as a GM. Like when he took uh, Hayden Fleury at 14th overall, uh, he passed on William Nylander, Kevin Fiala, Dylan Larkin, David Pasternak in that draft, and he was drafting based on need uh, because at the time Carolina didn't have any left-hand shot top prospects in their system, so he went for Fleury trying to fill out need. So I think he's learned from his mistake there. It's just going to be interesting who he brings on as his kind of right-hand man, like McPhee has McCrimmon in Vegas. Uh, hopefully, I think it would work out well if he brings in somebody that's a little different than him personality-wise in terms of being a little more aggressive because Carolina, I feel like, didn't miss some opportunity to trade from their surplus of defensemen for forward help while he was GM. And I feel like in Seattle, if he has somebody that's going to push him like a Hunter, or even if Ronnie Hextall comes on in a supporting role, I think that would help. I wonder, too, I know he came on after uh, the changes were made in Carolina, but the ex-agent, Paul Kropelka, who ended up signing with the Hurricanes, who was part of the Bobby Orr group, I know he has a lot of ties to the East Coast, so I don't know if he's willing to move, but you want to talk about a guy who got some really aggressive deals and contracts and then he's in Carolina specifically as an assistant GM for negotiation purposes. So I think that would be a guy you probably look at to bring the other way. But like I said, he might just be happy with the first job he got. Like, let's just stay here for a little bit. And yeah, so we'll, we'll see what happens there. And I just want to correct flurry was seventh overall in 2014, a 14th overall. Yeah. Well, the only it other thing too, worse. <laughs> no, no, no. no. Uh, the thing with flurry was, Everybody else had him ranked that high. Like I don't I don't think maybe he went for need as opposed to best player on the board, but Flurry was ranked that high. I mean, as for development yeah. and things like that, he may have been a bust, but I mean, the kid was Team Canada and everything else, WHL All-Star. Like he was a stud. I don't know what's happened in the meantime, but yeah, No, you're right. There you were other the people on the board. Jake Bean. <laughs> Jake, yeah. I'll go with in that. 2016. <laughs> Um, he took him right before De Bruins took Charlie McAvoy. Um, Kiefer Bellows was taken by the Islanders at, ni- at 19th overall. Uh, Sam Steele, Brett Howden, Alex Brinkat all were on a board, and he took Jake Bean at 13. So maybe that's the bigger miss. Yeah, I'll go with that one because I know Flurry <laughs> was very high that year. So yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, 
overall, I think a very solid hire. I think he has, the, like you said, the experience in a new market. He has a very calming, steady hand as a GM, which will work well for an expansion team. I think the next step is who he hires as his assistant GM or just president of operations and see how he contrasts with uh, his own personality. And I mean, Ronnie, if you're listening to the 617447, <laughs> <laughs> you just know that you're going to have to be wearing plaid every day to go to the office. Oh, yeah, plaid, I'm out. Can't do plaid. <laughs> I, I look great in suit and tie, plaid, I'm out. <laughs> Other news this week uh, a big deal between some big rivals up north, Benny, huh? Yeah, I mean, you were the one that alerted me to the trade, which caught me off guard in the sense that it's like the Rangers and Islanders making a deal. But I guess when you're in a cap situation that Edmonton and Calgary found themselves in, you don't really care who's going to help you out in terms of uh, your salary cap situation. But uh, James Neal going from Calgary to Edmonton in return for Milan Lucic and a conditional third round pick, which has interesting uh, conditions placed on it, which we can get into. And Edmonton is also retaining 12.5% of Lucha's salary for the remainder of his contract. So, in essence, Edmonton is paying uh, James Neal $5.75 million on their cap for the next four years, and Calgary is paying Luch $5.25 million for the next four years. Yeah, I, I was completely surprised with the deal. Like, there was no rumblings, like insider points or anything coming out it just kind of came up it was kind of like oh that's interesting because James Neal went to Calgary and was an absolute bust like bust 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 like there's no question about it didn't fit didn't work I don't know if it was just him being in a new place or whatever it might have been when Lucic signed the deal he did I think everybody said it was a bad deal and I think that's the difference here where people thought Neal was going to go and thrive and then Lucic signed a bad deal with that, I think this trade was needed on both ends because Calgary, who we thought was going to make a deep playoff run, comes in and gets bounced in that first round. And with that, all I'm saying is that Lucic makes them a lot tougher than what they are. They are a very fast, young team, but he can give them something different. And on that end, I think it works because... On the Edmonton side of things, James Neal going to Edmonton, and I don't know what the lines are going to be or how they shake up as, but if he goes there and he plays with McDavid and Neal starts scoring goals again, I, I don't know how this isn't a win-win on both sides. Yeah, I think it's going to be much more of a win for Edmonton, even if Neal just has a slight bounce back, which I think is a bare minimum at this point. He had 16 points, I think, in 63 games, and... That's not going to happen again for a guy like Neil, at least not playing alongside Josh Seidel or McDavid. Uh, the thing for Lucic is, what's his best case scenario? 15 goals, 35 points, playing physical on your third or fourth line. Um, I know Calgary was interested in Ryan Reeves because, last offseason because they wanted to bring in some muscle and uh, some grit to their bottom uh, forward group. So I know Lucic fits that need for them there. So in terms of need, they might be helping themselves out, especially if they want to make a deep playoff run. Luch has played every game for the Oilers since he signed, so he's not injury prone. Uh, so 
as long as they're not expecting him to return to the Lucic of Boston, I don't think they're going to be as disappointed as Edmonton was. I just think Edmonton has a chance to really make out here because even though I think Neil is slightly overrated because of that 140-goal year, uh, other than that, he's a consistent 20-25 to goal guy, more like a Chris Kreider than an elite scoring winger. He's going to be playing, like you said, on the right side, either with McDavid, Josh Seidel, or even Ryan Nugent Hopkins. And with that being said, that means that they get to spread the offense around a little more. That means you can split up Leon and McDavid. You have Nugent Hopkins at the 2C role. Um, And if he gives you the 25 goals, you now have a star winger to play with McDavid for the first time in his career spread the offense around, and then it starts making it a little more palatable for free agents to look at a top-six role in Edmonton as a positive instead of a last-ditch effort. Um, the last thing about it is Neil has a better chance of transitioning to a different role better than Luch because once Luch starts breaking down physically or he's, you know, as guys get older, he's not going to want to consistently have to go in hard on a four-check. He's not going to want to always fight, especially as he gets into his mid-30s. He's going to lose all, most or all of his value. But with Neil, he can be like a Corey Perry will be for Dallas this upcoming year. Third line winger, might be able to help out on a power play. He's big body, and he could be a little bit of an agitator. So I think he brings a little bit more flexibility there. That it may, but I think one thing that we're missing on is this now frees up Matthew Kachuk to go and play <laughs> hockey. No, I mean, yeah. like, Kachuk could come out of this, like, whenever they find a deal, which I'm sure they will. Whenever they reach on a deal, Kachuk could end up being like Brad Marchand and come out of it and just be an absolute pain in the ass, but he's going to make you pay. And then when you have Lucic there. No, I know. I'm just saying, like, if he can go out and now actually play hockey and not have to do the other shit that he has to do, because he's the only guy on that team that doesn't. So now if. A, he does it, but B, someone has to respond to Lucic. I mean, I think it's going to open up a lot more than we think it is. And you're right. He's 31. He's older. He's on the down. I just think that this team style fits with him more than he did in Edmonton. Edmonton is more kind of wide open, ring it. Like, this team is kind of more built like the Bruins that he played for, and if he just has to run up and down a left wing, I think he'll be more sufficient when you can find him with the right center and right winger as opposed to you wanted him to play with McDavid. Like, he can't skate with McDavid. It doesn't work. But yeah, they threw him out there. That didn't work, and then they dumped him on the fourth line. There was no in-between. I think Yeah, I think here, that goes back to expectations, though, where Edmonton expected too much, one, because of the contract, and two, because of his play in Boston, whereas... Like you said, Calgary is looking at him as if we get him to play third line minutes and give us 10 to 15 goals, that's a bonus. Oh, absolutely. Uh, if you told me any of my third line wingers right now, we're going to put in like each winger is going to put in 15 goals a year. I take it in a heartbeat. Yeah, I think I kind of look at it from the opposite side of things when you brought up the Kachuk situation where if I'm Calgary, if I'm the coaching staff, I tell them now you don't need to do that stupid shit and you can even concentrate on being a better two-way elite goal scorer. You can be a Brad Marchand without dealing with the suspensions and all the extracurriculars that 
guys like Bergeron have to deal with, with Marshall not really growing out of that shit uh, as he's gotten older. So I would be looking at it as this frees him up to be even better offensively instead of having to, I'm not saying completely turn off that side of the game, but just be more strategic about it. Yeah, exactly. Now we can pick his spots because there's other people to answer to. Yeah. And the last thing I thought was interesting, which I think helped uh, the deal for Edmonton's point of view, they don't have to protect James Neal in the expansion draft, but they would have had to protect Lucic because of his contract. So now Calgary, who has a lot of young, good guys, when Seattle comes for their expansion draft, he's going to have to be one of the forwards that are guaranteed protection yep. uh, in that draft. So that eliminates a roster spot uh, for Calgary, but that frees one up for Edmonton. So I think that was also a low-key uh, good decision on Edmonton's part. That, that's uh, called the Ken Holland miracle. That's what that's yeah. called. <laughs> uh, do you, what were your thoughts on the uh, conditional third-round pick? that Edmonton is probably going to have to pay. <laughs> well, well pr- proceed for everybody that doesn't know what it is. So from what I gather, because they announced it over the week- weekend, and then they kind of took it back, and I haven't seen anybody clarify it since because Drager deleted the tweet. Um, f- but from what I initially read, uh, if Neil scores more than 10 goals than Luch does this upcoming season, then... Um, Edmonton sends a third-round pick to Calgary. Is that completely messed up? Because I can't find clarification on that right now. Uh, no, it was strange because I, I saw the same thing, but like you said, it was taken down, and it's been gone. The, like If you read the thing at first, it is <laughs> nail for Lucic in a conditional third-round pick, and then you see trades after that don't even have that pick involved. So, like... I don't know. I mean, I'm pulling it up right now just to see if I can find something, even in the initial form. Yeah, it it was just strange. I'm with you. It seemed weird because I thought conditions kind of had to be played out ahead of time in the sense of like, oh, if they make the playoffs, you know, you can get this pick. Or like, I didn't know there was actually player stipulations on deals, which I now. think would be hilarious for future trades. But okay, I pulled up the tweet. I had to save it on my computer. Uh, this was posted on. July 19th by Reed Wilkins. This was retweeted by Darren Drager. Two conditions have to be met for the Oilers to send a 2020 third-round pick to Calgary. The first condition is James Neal has to score at at least 21 goals. And the second condition is Lucic has to score at least 10 fewer goals than Neal. That is so weird. Just like a double piggyback. Yeah, so if Neal scores 21 goals, but Lucci scores 12, then the Oilers don't have to send a third-round pick. <laughs> yeah, I, I honestly don't know how this is going to work out. Because I could also see Lucic just being a big oomph like, in front of the net and just tipping in a couple of goals and like making a <laughs> dunk. just put like, him on a power play just to get him, get him there? <laughs> yeah, like, like I don't even know how this is going to work out. It's so strange to me, but... Yeah, good luck. I don't know what your thoughts are on it. <laughs> I, no, just if that's allowable, allowable under CBA, like I said, I'm curious to see what other trades in the future might look like where it's the Rangers trade Kevin Shattenkirk for a prospect, but if Shattenkirk scores 40 points, the Rangers get a second round pick. But if the prospect makes the roster, they don't or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, just based on something. Like, I don't even know what to think of that. Like, if that font smells, then it's our <laughs> pick. But, like, I don't even know. 
Um, but the other big trade, this happened right before the start of free agency. We touched on it slightly in our post-July 1st free agency extravaganza podcast, but uh, because of all the movement around the league, we didn't have enough time to really spend some time getting into it. And that was the Phil Kessel trade to Arizona. So the trade was finalized as Phil Kessel and a fourth-round pick in 2021 and prospect Dane Burks to the Arizona Coyotes for Alex Galchenyuk and former first-round pick in 2017, Pierre-Olivier Joseph, who is a def- left-hand shot defenseman. Getting away from the pick and the prospects, I find this extremely interesting because Rick Tockett is the quote-unquote Phil Kessel whisperer. Yeah, This was the rumor beforehand and everything else that Tockett was the guy who could get through to Kessel. Sullivan and the GMs were no longer doing it. And ironically enough, who's the coach in Arizona? Rick Tockett. Recently on the Spit and Chicklets podcast, they had Rick Tockett speaking about Phil Kessel. And the biggest thing I gathered from his conversations with Phil is that Phil does not want everything to be about hockey. He wants it to be different in the sense. So Tockett would say, yeah, I'd pull him in the office. We would talk a little hockey. I would talk a little World Series of Poker with him and then bring him out to hockey and say, hey, if you could do that today in practice, that'd be great, blah, blah, blah. And Phil was receptive to that. And the only thing with me is this. You are an NHL player in a very good one. And it kills me to say that Phil Kessel is a two-time Stanley Cup champion and everything else due to his time in Boston and how, I don't want to say lackluster, but how big of a baby and how selfish he could be at times. But well, I mean, I say to Toronto kind of worked out for you guys. It did. But, <laughs> but, but I'm saying on the other end of, with that, he's blossomed into a very good player. I mean, he, he scores almost 40 goals every year. Yeah. With that, I mean, you're an NHL player. Your life should be all about hockey. But if you don't want to talk hockey outside of hockey, if you're at dinner or this, that, the other thing, I get it. Hey, I was at the rink all day. But there is no reason why your coach has to sugarcoat it or deflect to a different scenario for you to then give a shit. Like, to me, yeah, that's just, just a little personalities, I guess. But, but, yeah, it makes things more difficult. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like... I understand the dir- the different personality things and people are like, there could be some guys you scream at them, you're going to get something out of them. There got to be some guys you tap on the ass. I get that. But like, you don't want to go into a meeting and listen about hockey. Like, I just, I don't know. It seemed a little crazy to me. And if Rick Tockett's the guy to get through to him and for him to go to the desert and end up playing phenomenal, Hats off to Rick Tockett and Chaika for making that deal. Yeah. I mean, like you said, Kessel, he gets his wish because apparently he nixed a trade to Minnesota because he only wanted to play in Arizona for Rick Tockett. So he gets his wish. Um, he's going to be able to play consistent first-line minutes in Arizona, which he wasn't getting in Pittsburgh because uh, they usually put him on Malkin's wing on a second line, and then there was a lot of friction when uh, Sullivan would put him on a third line just to spread the offense around, and he did not like that at all. So he's going to get plenty of minutes. He's going to play for the coach that he wants. Um, He's still not going to try defensively, but he's still going to be an elite, at least for the next... How long do you think he has elite 
uh, offense production left. I know some of it was probably propped up a little bit by playing with Malkin and Crosby and Latang uh, the last few years, but he did produce 303 points in 328 games in Pittsburgh. What, like two years? If Arizona gets two elite years out of him of 35 to 40 goals, they have to be happy with that, right? I mean, his contract currently is for three years. This yeah. year, next year, the year. I mean, I would say at him being 31, through the next three years of this deal that they're on the hook for, I think they get an elite Phil Kessel. Okay. After that, as to where he goes, signs, or decides whatever he's going to do. Oh, he's going to hang him up, man. <laughs> no, I, I just think that whoever gets him on that end, it might be a little bit different. Yeah. Another I mean, thing, though, is... Pittsburgh gets a whole bunch of free cap room here. They get cool. Galchenyuk for 4-9, and he's only on the books for this year. Next year, he's unrestricted. So maybe it was holding on to that Phil Kessel deal for the future in the next couple of years behind all of the other stuff, which we may or may not know what have happened. I think they were kind of looking at it as, as a flexibility standpoint. Yeah. I think the issue with that point is, with the Kessel trade and then with the Alimata trade, they freed up about five million, five and a half million in the cap space before free agency started, and then they gave eighty percent of that to Brandon Tenniff on a six-year deal. So now they're back to not having much cap space. They don't have they any. They're have, over. They're over right now. <laughs> yeah, like they just had to sign restricted free agent Ashton Reese before he hit his arbitration hearing for a two-year deal. So they create a cap room, but then I think Rutherford, just like he did last summer with the Gabranson and the Chad Johnson uh, signings, like really just fucked that up. So he could have gone in a few other different directions with that cap space, but giving six years to Brandon Tanner for three and a half mil was ridiculous. So I think that he did good by getting that flexibility, like you said, but then he ruined it with what he did once free agency opened. And I mean... I understand Jim Rutherford is a very aggressive GM and he wants to get whatever he's looking for, whether it's a left wing, a center defenseman. I'm, I'm not going to say Brandon Tanev. I don't think that's what they were looking for, <laughs> but it ended up being that way. But um, he goes after what he wants, whether it be yeah. good or whether it be bad, you know, tip of the cap to him. But just like you said, he was so aggressive that now they're in the red. So now they have to either make a trade or you know, wave somebody on the other end to be cap compliant because they're currently at 81.6 and the cap's 81.5. Yeah, and since they had an arbitrary hearing schedule, they can use the second buyout window. So I wonder if a guy like Johnson might get bought out. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, currently they're at 23 contracts. I believe you have to be at 21 Yeah. Well, for the roster size. So on that end, they're over. So, I mean, you put a couple of guys down to Wilkes-Barre, you'll be under. But you're right up against it. So for you to make any moves in the future, yet again, you got to slide some pieces around. So, Yeah, I mean, from the team's point of view, uh, I'll start with Pittsburgh, but I think they entered this offseason with all the rumors going around about a Kessel trade was they wanted to get four things. Cap space, they wanted to improve team chemistry because Sullivan and Kessel weren't getting along. Uh, apparently Malkin didn't like playing with uh, Kessel anymore. They want to get younger and get some speed. So they accomplish all of that with this trade in the sense of Alex Elchanyuk, he's 25 years old. 
Uh, Kessel's out of the locker room. They got their cap space, and he's quicker than Kessel, even though he's just as shitty defensively. But the problem is he's not— I think Pittsburgh's so used to plugging anybody alongside Malkin and Crosby and them having a 30-40 to goal year that they're just plug-and-play. But I think they're just banking on that one lightning-in-a-bottle year from a talented kid in Galchenyuk, hoping for 30, 35, maybe even 40 goals. He hits free agency. He leaves because they can't afford him. Um, but then their real long-term get was his prospect, uh, Olivier Joseph, the defense prospect for the long term. So I think this would have been a huge win for the Penguins if they just didn't blow the cap space on Brandon Tenev. Uh, so I give them like a C plus B minus on a trade. But for Arizona, like we said, they get a star player that actually wanted to play in Arizona. They finally used the cap space on a real player instead of just their contract and they retire. Um, and they're going to get to maybe all three years of his contract, like you said. He plays at an elite level because he's into it with Tockett. And if he does that, that's going to elevate their young guys like Keller. So I think this is a real big win for Arizona and a, would have been a bigger win for Pittsburgh if they handled the cap better. But it's not a total loss. And I think they're hoping for a big year from Galchenyuk. Like you said about Galchenyuk, for him, perfect, because you get one big year, then you hit unrestricted free agency, go wherever you want, cash in your ticket. For those who say that the Arizona Coyotes used to be a contract dumping space, no more. Cap's at 81.5, they're at 81.3. Yeah, they can't do it anymore. They can't do it anymore, but at the same time, now they need people to go to the fucking games because there's going to be no way they can (laughs) afford that money paying out. So uh, I, I mean, it's going to be fine. They're, they'll draw a big crowd when they're in Houston to start uh, 2020, 2021, just to help out with the align- realignment. Yeah, I heard you. Houston's beautiful this time of year. You thought it was hot up here. Holy <laughs> fuck. Well, the fir- actually, the first lady's there right now as we're recording, and she's like, it's 95 and humid. <laughs> oh, it, it's disgusting. But before we go on to our next topic, I just want to talk to you guys about something near and dear to me. I don't know about you guys, but this time of the year when it's not 95, but it's semi-reasonable, I like to go in the backyard, hang out with the kids, let them run around. I called Straffer Landscape Contracting for my brick patio that I go and I plop my lawn chair on. I kick my feet up and I let the kids run wild in the yard. And I think you should do the same. You call Strat 781-879-8519. You tell him that the boys from 2, 5, and 10 sent you. He gives you the discount automatically. It's not one of those things. You say, hey, two, five, and ten sent me. Boom, your family. That's how it works. The biggest thing that Stratty just came up with, kid's a genius. I mean, I wish I could say I was a landscape contractor. I'm not. I'm just kind of an asphalt pusher. But with it, you go now, and everybody always wants a nice, pretty garden. But people complain, like, it's too far away from my house. You know, I got to pull the hose out here, there, and everything else. Stratty just came up with planting beds for the patio. You get a beautiful patio. At the end of it, in there, there's a beautiful planting bed. You don't have to go too far. You can water it. You can bring your water can. You could bring the hose of whatever you want. It's right there. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm not telling you again. Stratford Landscape Contracting, 781-879-8519. Benny, it's time to talk about your boy that got locked up long term. Take it away. Yeah, and I think uh, you'll get an, an additional discount if you ask Stra- uh, Stratford where he went to college. <laughs> 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 Love you, Shaddy. Um, 
Yeah, Jacob Chuba, uh, the big trade with the Rangers in, earlier in July. He finally signs a long-term extension with the team he's property of. Uh, he refused to do that with Winnipeg. Signs a seven-year deal worth $8 million a year cap hit-wise. Uh, that puts him in rarefied air in terms of highest-paid defenseman around the league. He is currently tied with Brent Burns and John Carlson at $8 million a year, so they're in the top five. Only behind Oliver Ekman Larson, PK Subban, Drew Doughty, and Eric Carlson. So I think he's well worth the money. I think it's a slight overpay in terms of cap hit. I was kind of hoping for a 7 to 7.25 for seven years, but the Rangers are banking on him turning into a bona fide number one right hand shot defenseman, and those do not come around very often. And they got him under contract through his entire prime. So 25 through. His age 32 uh, season, so perfect for the Rangers. He gets long-term stability. I'm just curious on your thoughts on him getting paid $8 million. He's ahead of guys like uh, Victor Hedman, Dustin Bufflin, Ryan Suter, Aaron Ekblad, uh, Chris Letang. If he's worth that money, if he's going to be worth that money, or if you just think this is going to be another three years from now, the Rangers like, shit, how do we get out of this deal? Like They have to with Shattenkirk now. No, I, I do not think it is a Shattenkirk deal, so that's good for you guys. <laughs> I think this is fair market value, to be honest. Um, the kid last year, 50 points with Edmonton, 8 goals, 42 assists. He's able to power, like power, no, quarterback a power play. Huge kid. He, he, he is a very big boy, and he can move the puck. And like you said, right shot defenseman who can move a puck. 6'3", 202. He's a big boy, man. And... He was drafted ninth overall in the first round in 2012. He's had a huge, huge, huge upside. Everyone's always been big on him. I don't think there's ever been a year where people were kind of giving him shit. I think this whole deal happened because, like you said, it was part of that Winnipeg's too tight to the cap and they need to make room. Great for you guys. Great to sign him through those years. I, I have no gripes here. Like, I'm not yeah. pointing one way or the other. I think this is a great signing for you guys. Yeah. The added part is he's penciled in on a first pair of Brady Shea, who's actually pretty close friends with. And when you look at the very likely possibility that both Brendan Smith and Kevin Shattenkirk are not in the top six or not even in their organization on opening night for the Rangers, their top six is pretty much penciled in as Brady Shea, Jacob Chuba, Anthony D'Angelo, Adam Fox, Mark Stahl, and one of Ryan Lindgren or Lebo Hajik. So I think that's a pretty damn good top six, and there's still about three blue-chip defense prospects in the minors in college with Igor Rykov, Keandre Miller, guys like that. So the Rangers is set long-term in the back end. Like I've been hitting on whenever we talk about the Rangers in the summer, I they still need to sign Pavel Buchnevich, who has an arbitration hearing on July 29th. Uh, they still need to sign D'Angelo and Brendan Lemieux. I hope this doesn't mean that they're going to look to move Chris Kreider. I hope they look, I'd rather move uh, Vladimir Mesnikov, Ryan Strom, Smith, Shattenkirk, all those guys before Kreider. I don't think addition by subtraction is the case here. Um, I'd rather just give it a go with him and see if he's six round long term and just continue bleeding talent uh, like Kreider, especially since he's 28 years old. I'm with you on the Kreider thing. I mean, the only move, if you do move him, is that it gives you cap space. But yeah. 
I don't think it makes you better. Because outside of him, obviously, you have Panarin on that left wing. You got Nemestikov, you can kind of move around. And then you kind of fall off. You get Chido, who, I mean, he had a great first year. Is, is he going to continue it? We'll see. Hopefully not a sophomore slump. Elias Anderson coming into the mix, who can play center yeah. or left wing. I mean, this this is the guy, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Team Sweden two years ago, who threw his silver medal <laughs> into this. But no, that's that's a good thing. He, he's mad that yeah, he lost. No, I, like I he was shows, a fan of that. <laughs> yeah, he shows emotion. So, I mean, maybe this is a kid that's going to be very hungry to jump into the lineup and be ready to play. And one person, a little bit of a bust, who was such a huge name, Cristobal Nueves, man, like, he came on, yeah, he came onto the scene and he was very much highly touted and then kind of second round pick a couple years back. Yeah, just I don't know, just never blossomed yet, but one year and then he's restricted, so we'll see what happens there. Yeah, I mean, with Kreider, the reason why you want to keep him even though it's probably going to take a 7 year everybody keeps talking about like Larry Brooks and the B guys for the Rangers keep saying it's going to take seven years and $7 million cap hit a year to keep Kreider. And I don't think that's the case. I don't think teams are going to be aligning up to pay a 29-year-old Chris Kreider seven years in a free agent market just because of the length of the term. I think he's going to get a five-year deal, maybe six, but I think five years, that's sweet spot. He'll get. I don't know how he can justify getting paid that much more than James Neal got on the market or Brad Marchand or David Parsonark are getting. I know it's RFAs versus uh, unrestricted. But if he's if he goes to the Rangers and says, I'll sign five years, 6.75 million a year, why do you move him? Um, so like you said, the top six right now with Kreider in a fold is Panarin, Zibanejad, Kapukaku, Chris Kreider, Filipino, and Pavel Buchnevich. That's pretty damn good. If you move Kreider, suddenly you're going to have who I, you know how much I like him. Then you have Brendan Lemieux as second line left wing for a team that might be looking to make the playoffs now instead of being that deaf secondary scorer on your third line. Um, Nemesnikov is a fourth liner at this point. I like Ryan Strome, but he's not going to score 18 goals in 45 games again. So I think the Rangers have better offensive depth, but I don't think they can afford to lose a consistent 25-goal guy like Kreider right now. No, absolutely not. And the biggest thing with Kreider is his speed. So, I mean, yeah. you want to talk about interchangeable between lines. If if you have a guy who can start taking off, and whether it's a far side winger, someone playing the right, or if it's your center who Kreider can hit him with the pass, but then not only get back into the play, like I think unless you're getting a haul for him, which currently you can't before the season starts, like, if the deadline comes and shit's not looking too good, I'm on board. Like, you know, get whatever you can for him. Yeah. But right now, like, you take him away, you're not better. Mm-hmm. That's that's it. Hook, line, and sinker. Like, you need him to be a better player. Yeah, and he's only getting, I think, 4.6 in a cap this year. So it's not like he's making $8 million and he'll solve, your cap, solve all your cap woes. Even if you move Kreider, you still have to buy out Smith and or Shattenkirk. So I don't. He's basically getting paid $600,000 more than Vladimir Mesnikov. So I don't understand the constant chatter about moving Chris Kreider. Um, the other thing I wanted to touch on just briefly is salary arbitration hearings have started around the league. Uh, this is usually 
this past weekend and all of this week is usually around a time when a lot of these guys start signing their deals because no team and no player wants to end up going to the actual arbitration hearing because it's bare-knuckle brawl in there, man. And you'll start hearing some deal signs up until right before they walk into the arbitration hearing. But one of the things I wanted to highlight, and this is courtesy of Craig Cousins on The Athletic, according to 10 years' worth of results provided by the NHL Players Association, 27 players have gone to an actual hearing since 2009. And within three years of that hearing, 21 of those players were on different teams. <laughs> That's interesting. So if you go to a hearing, you're basically a goner because either you win your hearing and a team thinks you're overpaid and then they want to move you, or you lose your hearing and then a team looks at you as not loyal, disrespectful, whatever, and then they end up wanting somebody who is quote-unquote good for the room. So that's why a lot of guys and a lot of teams want to avoid arbitration. But as it currently stands, there are a couple guys who, notable guys, that are still, have the hearings pending, and a bunch of them are this week. You have Sam Bennett in Calgary, Buchnevich with the Rangers, Joel Edmondson in St. Louis, Andrew Kopp in Winnipeg, Colton Sissons and Rocco Grimaldi with Nashville, Will uh, Butcher with New Jersey. I wonder if all these guys are going to get signed in time, and if not, like, you look at a guy like Buchnevich. If he goes to the hearing, he signs a one-year deal. Let's say he gets $4 million. The Rangers are going to move him. And then it weakens the top six. So I just wanted to highlight how if you hear your favorite team has an arbitration hearing and they actually make that hearing, you can kiss that player goodbye eventually. I'll say Butcher and Edmondson are two very interesting uh, candidates going up there. Yeah, and... Okay, I need to comment on two things. One, that's why you saw guys like in Boston, Heinen signed before his hearing, Brock McGinn signed right before his hearing, Zach Aston re-signed with Pittsburgh right before his. They want to avoid the hearing. But one guy who avoided a hearing with Winnipeg, who I had a really good chuckle when I saw what he signed for, was Neil Pionk. He was involved in a trade for Jacob Truba. Right-hand shot, 25-year-old defenseman. He had 26 points for the Rangers last year, but anybody who watches Ranger games know that was a mirage. I think he had four points after November uh, for the remainder of the season. He's going to pay $3 million a year for the next two years to play for Winnipeg, and I can't wait until next summer when I start seeing, seeing articles about how the Winnipeg Jets need to buy out or eat salary to move Pionk to help their cap situation. Nothing against the kid. He's just overpaid at $3 million. Jesus. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the interesting part for me was Edmondson came out last year because he was up for arbitration but signed before the arbitration last year. So it was a one-year back to arbitration this year. Yeah. And he was very open about it that him and uh, Dougie Armstrong had a conversation and – Dougie Armstrong had called him and said, hey, just fair warning, when we go into arbitration, I'm doing my job and your agent's doing his job. Like, no hard feelings. Like, this is just the way it works. So basically you go in there and your GM tells you how bad you suck and brings up all your numbers to make you paid lower. Yeah. But hey, you know, it, it's all good. It's that famous story. Remember Mike Milbury? Like, there's a difference between trying to win your case and then just shitting on your own player. But there was that famous story when he went to arbitration when he was GM of the Islanders and he made Tommy Sallow cry in a hearing. And coming from Mike Milbury, <laughs> too, like, his 
commentary throughout the playoffs was fucking awful. Awful. I so couldn't stand like, hearing him, man. Can you imagine going into arbitration with this doofus and being like, all right, Mike, enough. Go go sit down. And you're on it. Like, shut the fuck up. Go sit down. Like, your case is awful. You're on. Like, this is coming from the same guy who gave Rick DiPietro money still to this day. So, <laughs> and like, please. If- if I was Tommy, if I was sorry, if I was Mike Milbury, I wouldn't have even appeared in a hearing. I would have just paid Dan Cloutier to do it. <laughs> I, I don't know, man. I think, uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know what I think. Fucking Mike Milbury, what a beauty! But yeah, so it's going to be interesting to see if these guys get signed. Uh, personally, the Buchnevich one is one I'm watching closely, just to see what happens with the Rangers' cap situation and buyouts. So. Hopefully these guys get signed because they're going to be on a move and apparently in three years or less, according to the last 10 years of information. Any shout outs this week? Oh yeah, I got two shout outs. I got a shout out to, of course, the first lady. Uh, hello. You're going to be listening to this while you're still in Houston. Ooh, talk dirty, uh, talk dirty. <laughs> H down. Enjoy the humidity. Um, Wait, hold on. I have one question before you go to the next one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. R.I.P. to her friend that absolutely ate shit in the airport on her suitcase. Like, that was fucking awesome. Oh, her coworker. Yeah, it's a work uh, off-site trip, and her and her coworker, they were at the airport at, like, 6 a.m., and they had their flight was delayed or something, so they're just messing around. She, yeah, she ate tile when oh. she was, like, spinning on her suitcase. <laughs> Dude, I was dying watching that video. Like, that was hysterical. <laughs> Uh, yeah, shout out Kaylee in case she's listening since they're, I think they're sharing rooms on this ship. Um, second shout out, you sent this to me. I'm going to give a shout out to the Rangers, big free agent signing this summer, Artemi Panarin. You know, it looked like he wasn't coming to New York and then he did. It looked like the Rangers weren't going to be able to get Jack Hughes or Kaku and then they won the lottery and finished second and got Kaku. Everything was going to range his way this summer. And I think I mentioned this on the air about how things are going so well for the Rangers and I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop. Well, ladies and gentlemen, the other shoe to drop is going to be Artemi Panarin's eventual disappearance when he visits this uh, Moscow one summer. Because, quote, Putin's time is up. He can no longer distinguish between right and wrong. I don't like the lawlessness, end quote. It was nice knowing you, Artemi. I hope you get at least one elite season out of you before you disappear or you have another, uh, quote-unquote, cardiac situation like Cheripanov. I was actually going to ask you about that, but the NHL reimbursed you for Cheripanov. For Panarin, do they reimburse you for Putin <laughs> killing him? How does that work? <laughs> no, but uh, obviously this is all unjust or whatever. Um, but, yeah, big balls by Panarin there to come out against Putin like that. So I, I think that pretty much swore off him going home anytime soon. Yeah, I think he didn't even know it, but his houses have already been sold for him. <laughs> uh, but that's it for me. Who you got? Uh, as always, biggest apple of my eye, Big Red. Appreciate the love. Um, dealing with me, even though I worked on the weekend and I may have come home and been a uh, poly pissy pants after it was 100 and something fucking degrees here. Um Strat Daddy, thank you for taking me out on Thursday and sealing it with the smooch. Uh, 
I'm just waiting for Kyle. I, I want Kyle to come out with us on a Thursday. I mean, or maybe we have to go to his place and, you know, just a big old tickle time, like old time's sake. That's all. I'm not thinking anything crazy. Oh, um, RIP to Rizzo's jaw. I hope it uh, heals up soon. Oh, is he finally talking shit to the wrong person? I, I can't disclose any information on this <laughs> podcast. Not, nothing like that. I, I can fake stuff about hockey. I can't talk about that. <laughs> oh, uh, and of course, I've been kind of slacking on this recently but fuck you bobo yeah bobo uh the the (laughs) world uh the world champion uh broomball extraordinaire he i don't know if he's still in north carolina or i know he went down there for a broomball tournament and um still has only listened to one episode of this podcast which was just the one he was in (laughs) he reminds me this is a barstool reference but he reminds me of young (laughs) pages He is some fucking boy. Um, ladies, gentlemen, we're having fun. We're still trying to crank out some content, even when it's quiet and it's the lull of the summer, but we're almost there. It's starting to come back. We're almost at August, which means we're almost at September. It means we're at camp. We're almost there, everybody. This is how we roll. We'll catch you all next week. Where the party's at